Good morning. It is good to see each of you here. And uh, I want to begin by welcoming our visitors. We're delighted to see you and we'd love to have you back at any opportunity. And I want to thank everyone who volunteered Friday night for our toy drive. We raised a lot of toys for our friends and neighbors at Youth Encouragement Services next door. Uh, had anywhere from 250 to 300 people bring toys. So I would say that was a huge success. So thank you for all who participated in that. I also want to say thank you to my wife Stacy and our sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, her sister, who uh, brought in this tree. And contrary to the rumor, I did not cut that tree down. But uh, I helped put it up with them with their supervision, of course. Uh, and thank goodness it's a not a real tree, but it looks real. It looks beautiful. So thank you to Stacy and my sister-in-law for donating that uh, to, the, to the decorations today. <coughs> you know, speaking of Christmas and of Christmas trees, one of the things about Christmas that we all recognize is kind of the beauty of lights, don't we? We love illumination. We love the lights. And I can't get out of my head, of course, that movie where Clark Griswold Lights up his house. It's, it's a hallmark. We love the light of Christmas, don't we? The Christmas tree in a window or Christmas lights outside of a house. The beauty of lights, multicolor lights. And you can go and see all kinds of different displays, whether it be at Opryland or in Lebanon. You can see all kinds of arrangements, syncopated lights. And it's just beautiful. And I suppose that the first light show was that star of Bethlehem that was shining down over Jesus that led the wise men to, to him. But no light compares to the light of Jesus' life and teaching. The light in which his life brought to the world. And in fact, Jesus said of his life in John chapter 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. He characterized his life as light, as light unto the world. Whether we're talking about the light of morality, the light of hope, the light of faith. Jesus brought light into the world, didn't he? You know, there's that other Christmas movie that we watch sometimes, It's a Wonderful Life. And the question that's posed in that movie is what if George Bailey was never born? What would the world be like? And remember, that angel gives him a picture of, his, of the world without George Bailey. And the world was drastically different in that small town because George Bailey never lived. Because the light of his life wasn't in that town. Think about the life of Jesus. How 
dark would our world be if Jesus had never come to earth? How dark would this world be? And the strange thing about Jesus and his life is, is that when you look at the facts of his life, when you look at who Jesus was and the facts of his life, and when we just look at it, and if we were going to just look at it from a natural standpoint, it would be unlikely that this person would have so much influence on the world. When you just look at the facts alone, someone once wrote this description of Jesus' life, and I want you to listen to it, and think about the unlikelihood of Jesus' influence. This is called A Solitary Life, written by James Allen Francis, and he describes Jesus' life. He says, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant, he grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place in which he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials other than himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. Think about the life of Jesus, the facts of his life, and then think, how could he have so much influence? What is it about Jesus that makes him Jesus and that has such a profound effect on the human race? When we look at the teaching and application of Jesus' teaching on this earth, it has had the most profound effect on the world than any other influence ever. In fact, an agnostic wrote this concerning Jesus. He said, your agnostic is tremendously impressed by the power of your faith. He has seen drunkards and libertines and moral degenerates transfigured by it. He has seen the sick, the aged, and the friendless comforted and sustained by it. And he is impressed by your wonderful charities, your asylums, your hospitals, your nurseries, your schools. 
He must shamefacedly admit that agnostics as such have built few hospitals and few homes for the orphans. When you think about the influence of Jesus, when you think of the influence of Christianity, think of how much good, think about how much light it has brought to the world. And what even compares to the light of Christianity? I'm not talking about the abuses of Christianity. Sometimes when we start talking about the goodness of Christianity and what it is created in this world, some people say, well, what about the wars? What about the, the atrocities? What about the things that people did wrong with, with Christianity? We can ask the same question of science itself. Because any good thing can be abused, can it not? And yes, science has created cures, has created vaccinations. But science has also created an atom bomb. Science has also created chemical warfare. And the goodness has been abused in the same fashion some people have used and manipulated Christianity. But when you look at the true, pure teachings of Jesus and the true application of who he was, you will see the sick and the aged comforted. You will see orphans cared for. Not only do you have the astonishing influence of Jesus, that light, but what you also have in Jesus is the relevance that he has in his teaching. You take the teachings of Jesus which were spoken some 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke these words. And yet they still need to be spoken today, don't they? There's relevance in his teaching because, you know why? Because there's truth in his teaching. The world needs to hear, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The world needs to hear, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there's such power and relevance to Jesus' teaching because it's true. No wonder Jesus says that he is the light of the world. C.S. Lewis said it like this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And see, that's the true power of Jesus' teaching is, is not only because you see who Jesus is, but you see everything different because of Jesus. It transforms life when you truly recognize who Jesus is. So today I want to give you just a few things that Jesus taught and lived that has changed the world. And that we need to implement in our life if we want to see the world get any better. Amen? The first thing that Jesus taught us was the inherent value of the individual. The inherent value of the person. You see, there are a lot of people who see people as a means to their end. 
There's a lot of politicians right now who are walking around shaking hands with people, talking to people. You know why? Because they're a means to an end. They're a means to being elected. But Jesus taught the inherent value of the person that a person is an end unto themselves. Jesus said it like this. Here's how important an individual is. Here's how important a person is. What shall a prophet man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus said you can stack up all the money in the bank. But that doesn't compare to the intrinsic, inherent value in a person. You think he believed it? Jesus not only said those words, but he died for you. Not just for the world, but for you who stood in your place. And that's inherent value, isn't it? That Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. When you look into the life of Jesus and into the ministry of Jesus, you see that he looked at people differently. You can see it with the way that he looked at children. And women. You see, in the first century, women and children were not as esteemed as they are today. But Jesus looked at children and said, Look, behold, for such is the kingdom of God. In fact, his disciples said, Hey, we, we don't have time for kids. You know, in, in Jesus' first ministry, the disciples didn't have a BBS program, that came later. That came later with the recognition that Jesus said, hey, children are important. How did Jesus look at women? How did the world look at women at the time? Well, Cicero of Rome, he likened women unto quote-unquote slaves, dogs, horses, and donkeys. Well, that warms the heart. If you're married, guys, don't try saying that at home. And in fact, the Jewish prayer, the blessing in the morning of his day was this. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. But when you look at the life of Jesus, you see in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, that women were integral to his ministry. And we find that in Jesus' life and ministry, that women were the first witnesses to the empty tomb and to the resurrected Jesus. It was a woman standing there. Not Peter. Not John. But a woman. That's why Paul preaches in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus elevated the status of women in his day, and the world is better for it, isn't it? He looked at marriage different. Remember, they came to him and they asked him about divorce, and Jesus said, He's allowed it because of the hardness of your heart, because men saw women as disposable. And he says, Hey, that's not the way it's intended to be. Jesus gives us this high view of marriage where it says that husbands are to love their wives 
even as Christ loved the church. Find a higher view of marriage and that. Is the world better because of that? Is that light? Human rights developed from this concept that the individual is important. The abolition of slavery came from Christians. One of the leading forces against slavery in the 1800s came from overseas. It came from a guy by the name of William Wilberforce, who year after year fought for slavery to be outlawed in the British Empire. And in fact, three days before his death, total emancipation for slaves in the British Empire was declared after years and years and years of putting forth proposals that were denied. Why do you think? Because he was affecting someone's pockets. He was affecting the economy. Because people own people. But William Wilberforce was a Christian. He saw the evil of slavery. That it was in direct opposition to the teachings of Jesus. Think about health. The modern hospital was born in the church. In the church in Caesarea Cappadocia was the first hospital created from the church. In fact, when the historian wrote of the hospital, the church hospital championed rational medicine along with prayer to counter superstition. That when the, the hospital rose up in the church, it was in opposition to superstition that came as a result of the church. Think about education. Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Your mind. Did you know that the first 120 universities created in America were faith institutions, including, of course, Harvard being first? You think we're any better because there is this elevation to education that Christianity proposed by loving God with all your mind? Science itself doesn't work without first thinking that there's a designer, that there's uniformity, that there's stability, that there's no ability to nature itself, therefore predictability, that came as the fruits of believing in God, of a Christian background. Jesus gave us this inherent value of the individual. Number two, he taught us the authority of scriptures. Why should you believe in the Bible? One reason you should believe in the Bible is because Jesus believed in it. How did he look at scripture? Eleven times in the gospel, Jesus says, have you not read? Which implies that they should have been reading it, right? That they should know what's in the scriptures. Or 30 times Jesus says this, it is is written that the authority of the scriptures matter. Jesus said in the scriptures, these are they which testify me. He says the scriptures in John chapter 5 shall not be broken. Is the world better because of the authority of scripture? Yes. 
But he also, Jesus describes our moral and spiritual predicament. A lot of times when we start thinking about what's wrong with the world, you see what's going to be debated in colleges and universities and on TV. They're going to talk about money or education. And while there may be some problems with all of those things, but Jesus says, hey, there's something worse than our problem with the economy. There's something worse than education. And it's actually this, that man's chief predicament is something that's inside of him. That the problem of man starts with me. Jesus describes this in Mark chapter 7. He says, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside of the pile of person. You know where, where we have a problem? Where I have a problem? It's, it's my heart. That the chief problem of man, the chief predicament of man is not on the outside, it's on the inside. And that there needs to be a transformation of the heart. And that's why, number four, the thing that Jesus taught us was this. Listen to me. The only thing that can save us is, is love. It has to do with the heart. And I'm not just talking about any kind of love. My daughter just brought in a puppy today. I love that puppy. But I'm not talking about puppy love. In the Greek, there was four loves, of course. There was eros, exotic, erotic love, romantic love. There was storge love, the, the love of those who are close to you. There was philia, which was brotherly companionship. But I'm not talking about any of those loves. None of those loves can save the world. Can it? Erotic love ain't going to save anybody. Being friends with someone isn't going to save anybody. No, Jesus talks about a different kind of love that this world needs. And in the Greek, it was called agape love. What kind of love is that? It's unconditional love. And if you want to look at it, if you want to see a picture of agape love, it's in the shape of a heart. Not in the shape of a heart. It's in the shape of a cross. That's what agape love looks like. And that's the only thing that is going to save you and me. And we've looked at everything else. You're not going to find salvation in your own righteousness. Sometimes we like to think that. Hey, I've been to church every day of the week. I dress up for church. I didn't cuss nobody out today. But let me tell you, your righteousness isn't going to save you. It's not. Oh, you can't find it in religion either. I'm not talking about pure religion, James 1.27. I'm talking about externals. 
You're not going to find it in our intelligence as smart as you are. I know you're smart. I know that there's people out there that are really intelligent. But intelligence can't save us. If it, if it would, why hasn't it? It's not in our power. It's not in our money. It's not in our politics. It's not in our opinions. It's not in our philosophy. It's not in our art or our poetry. Oh, the only thing that's going to save this world, Jesus says, is love. Not just any love. It's the love that is displayed on the cross. It is a love that sacrifices, a love that gives, a love that transforms your life, your marriage, your church, your community, a love for friend and foe alike. That's the only thing that's going to save this world. That's what Jesus preached, wasn't it? And only love can save you. And you know what the greatest demonstration of love is? Forgiveness. That's why Paul said, and God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the cross you find the true love of God. In the cross, you find the true love that God has for man. In the cross, you find the love that you're supposed to have for the person sitting next to you. That's where the true love is. And that's what God wants from you. That's the only thing that's going to save this world is the love of God. It's the only thing. You can turn on TV and you can watch them debate whatever subject, but it's only going to be love that saves this world. One person wrote like this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need would have been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent us Savior. And there is no light other than Jesus' light. That's why Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know light. You don't know where true goodness is. You don't know the love of God. But if you know Christ, then you know the true light of men, which is Jesus himself. Do you know the Lord? Have you obeyed him? The light of the gospel tells us that it begins in faith, that we are to turn to Christ and see him for who he is, that he is the Son of God. We are to see our lives in view of who he is, his holiness. And when I see the holiness of Christ... I see that the problem within me is that I have evil in my heart. That I have sin in my life. And that I need forgiveness of sins. And I need to repent from those sins. I need to turn from those sins. And I need to follow Christ. And I need to confess Him to be the Son of God. Be baptized into His body the church. For the remission forgiveness of sins. And I'm added to His church. A part of His kingdom. To spread the love and light 
of Jesus that this world so desperately needs. If you've never obeyed the gospel, we want to give you this opportunity. Or if you need prayers of healing or encouragement, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come out as together we stand and as we sing?